Thank you for joining us today. I'm Pastor Hagen Lister here at Word of Faith Outreach Center in Joaquin, Texas. If you'd like to join us in person, all of our service times, contact information, and a map to our physical location is on our website. That's www.woftx.com. You can also watch past live streams or watch us live on our Facebook page, WFTX. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. Amen. Well, if you will, go with me to Romans, the eighth chapter. I'm going to start a um, little Wednesday night series here on the partnership of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm sure uh, some of you have heard some of this, um, but it's just, it's, it's one of my messages that I feel like is something that has to be uh, somewhat reoccurring. There's always stuff that gets added and different things because of the necessity to have the, the Holy Spirit as our partner. I mean, you know, we can kind of get to going at things on our own a lot of times. You know, if things are, especially if things are, are going good, um, and, and I don't think we mean to do it. I don't think that it's, it's malicious in any, in any point, especially for believers. We just, uh, we're kind of like the kid who, um, you know, dad took the training wheels off the, off the bike and he's behind us. And then, and then we go, okay, we got it from here, you know, and, and how many know we should never have it from here when it concerns the Holy Spirit, right? We should always want to be running with the Holy Spirit, partnered with the Holy Spirit. And so in Romans, the eighth chapter, starting in the 28th verse, it says, and we know that all things work, uh, all things work together for good to those who love God. How many of you love God in here? Everything's going to work together for your good. Amen. I don't know about, about you, but I've needed to have that word in the last two or three years more than almost any other scripture. I've needed to hear that word and to say all things work together for my good because I love God, because I serve God. It's going to work together for my good. I'm not going to look at the world around me and I'm not going to say, well, because this person is experiencing that and that person is experiencing that and this is happening to them and that's happening to them. I'm not going to get fearful and say, oh my gosh, it's going to happen to me. No, all things work together for my good. Because I love God. Amen. So this is Paul talking to the Romans and he says, all things work together for the good of those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. You say, well, I'm not quite sure if I'm called according to God's purpose. If you've been saved, the Bible says you're called. Amen. He, he called you. And so he says, um, to those who are the called according to his purpose, verse 29, for whom he foreknew, meaning he knew you beforehand, he also predestined. Now, there's a, there's a big, um, you know, theological difference a lot of times with certain denominations about predestination. But I, I do believe in predestination, just not in the extremes that, that, that other denominations do. There's some denominations that go to the extreme of the fact that even some people are predestined to be saved, meaning that it doesn't matter what you do, uh, either God predestined you uh, to, be, uh, to be saved or not. And I don't believe that at all. I believe that everybody has free will to receive. He said he died, he sent Jesus to die for the world. That even while we were still sinners, uh, Christ died for us so that we could be saved. Uh, but he do, but there, is a, there is a predestination. You know, when we, when we pray over uh, our kids and, and when we dedicate babies and stuff, we always pray Jeremiah 29, 11, right? We always talk about how uh, God's got a plan for them, that he knew them before he, they were ever formed in their mother's womb. And we believe that. And I believe that there's, a, that there's a predestined calling that is on your life. And so he's talking about this. He says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be uh, conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called... And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Verse 31 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? I don't know about you. I know we quote that scripture a lot, but Every time, if, you, if we don't shake ourselves out of complacency, if we don't stop taking the word of God and what God says uh, uh, about us for granted, we will run over statements like that and we'll go, oh yeah, God be for us, who can be against No, 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 listen. If God is for you, is there anybody that can be against you? Is there anybody that can overtake you 
if God is for you. So if God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You know what that's saying? That God was so generous. I don't even think generous is is even a, a good enough word. It's an understatement word. But God was so generous that he absolutely gave you the most priceless thing that he had. A lot of times people think uh, that the streets of gold in heaven might be his most priceless thing or or the gates of pearl. You know, God doesn't care about those things. That's his decorations. Gold, he uses gold like we use asphalt. He walks on it. You know what the most precious thing in heaven was to him? Was his son. And right here it's saying, if God be for you, who can be against you? The one who actually sacrificed his own son just to get you back. Amen. And if he's for you, who can be against you? And it goes a step farther and says, if he would give you a son, what is there that he wouldn't give you? You think God's like, you know what? I gave you, I gave you Jesus Uh, now everything else is off limits. You should just be happy with, and and listen, I'm happy with Jesus. I'm so thankful that I'm saved and I'm not going to hell and everything that Jesus paid for. But but here's the thing people miss. And the thing that people miss is the fact that that he sent Jesus to die for you didn't just make the, uh, didn't just cause you to not miss hell, but it actually put you in the family of God. You're actually just as much in the family of God as Jesus is. That's what the Bible says, that he made you an heir and a joint heir with God. Made you to sit down together with him in heavenly places. You and me. If you're a believer, if you've, if you've received Jesus Christ in your heart, he, he says, if he would give you, Paul says, if he would give you a son, what, does, what do you think he would withhold from you? He's not withholding anything from you. You're part of the kingdom. You know, what if I found out you know, I keep going into my, in my kids' room, my, both of my kids' room, and, 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 I, and I walk in there, and, and, um, and, and one day I walk in there, and they're just skin and bones. I'm, I'm not talking about they just lost some weight or whatever. I'm talking about malnourished, skin and bones. And I went in there, and I said, wow, my goodness, how, why are you losing so much weight? We need to get you to the doctor. What's going on? Well, Daddy, I haven't eaten in three weeks. Well, why haven't you eaten in three weeks? Because I wasn't sure if you would give me any of the food in the refrigerator. Does that ever happen in your house? That ain't ever happened in my house. Matter of fact, I'm like, hide that so they don't get that because they eating everything. I saw some hacks on, on the internet that moms are hiding their, uh, their treats and stuff like little candy bars and stuff in the, in the frozen pea bags. In the, in the freezer, so the kids won't get into their, their little Hershey bars. That's what? That's oh, I thought you said you did that. You're going to now, though. Going to now. now you're going to. <laughs> She's got a house full of boys. But listen, most of us are malnourished from the things of God because we can't, we can't come to the, the revelation that we're just as much a part of the kingdom of God as Jesus is. Thank you for your enthusiasm. But you are just as much a daughter or son in the kingdom of heaven, if you're saved, as Jesus is a son in the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus has got his supreme authoritative place, but you've been adopted in. You've been chosen, predestined, adopted in as a son or a daughter of God. Amen? Is this okay? The biggest tactic of Satan is to get you to believe and confess that God is against you and that everything that happens to you is God's fault and that God is out to get you. And that's just a lie. Amen? Let's just say this out loud. Say, God is for me. Oh, we can do better than that. Say, God is for me. He's not against me. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. He's good to me and he's not finished blessing me, providing for me, 
protecting me or loving me. God is for me and he's not against me. Amen? He's not against me. He's not holding anything back. He's not down there saying, well, you know, I sent Jesus. Now y'all just fend for yourself until either I send Jesus back or you die and come up here to see me. No, no. You, you've become an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Amen? So I want to talk about communion equaling partnership. In the closing statements to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said this. So he wrote two letters to the church at Corinth. And in the closing statements of that last letter, that final letter, uh, in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, he says this, that the grace, this was his closing statement, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I want to read that again. So instead of saying sincerely Paul, he writes this, I'm praying that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the unmerited favor of God, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So to a church in those days, in one of the major churches of those days, he says, you guys need the favor of God. You guys need the love of God. And you guys need the communion of the Holy Spirit. And I'm praying that you will allow the favor of God to work in your church. And I'm praying that you will allow the love of God to work in your church. And I'm praying that you'll have communion with the Holy Spirit. When Paul said the communion of the Holy Spirit, the word he used was the Greek word koinonia. Now, I'm terrible at pronouncing all these names because I am from Arkansas. And um, as, you can, as you can tell, and it is actually illegal in Arkansas to pronounce it Arkansas. It is on the books. It is illegal to, to pronounce it Arkansas because it's not Arkansas, it's Arkansas. And the reason why it's Arkansas is because it's not American, it's Indian. And they pronounced it Saul and not Sass. Just so you know, don't be disrespecting. But I cannot pronounce koinonia because I'm not Jewish or Greek. But anyway, the word communion, when he used that, he wrote the word. See, we get the translation communion. But if they were to have read it when Paul wrote it, he would have written it in the Greek. And it, it, would, it would have said in the Greek um, that the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And that word koinonia actually is the word that is used for partnership. So it got translated to us communion, but it's the Greek word used for partnership. And the example that would have been given, so uh, you've got the word and then you've got the definition and then you'll have examples of using that in a sentence or, or using that as a scenario. And one of the best scenarios that, that we can see this is if you go to Luke, the fifth chapter, five through seven, it says, but Simon answered and said to him, master, we have toiled all night. This is when uh, they, uh, they haven't caught any fish and Jesus comes to him and he says, um, will launch out into the deep and, and cast your net on the other side. And it says, but Simon answered him and said, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. And so basically he's, he's telling him, he's like, well, <laughs> we've been here fishing all night. We're professional fishermen. You know, as far as, they might not have known who Jesus was at that time. And if they did know who he was, they would have known that he was the son of a carpenter. And if they didn't know who he was, they'd have known he wasn't a fisherman. And so Jesus is talking to professional fishermen. They're pulling up and they haven't caught anything all night. And so this guy comes up, he comes walking up that they can, I'm, I'm pretty sure they could tell he doesn't know what he's talking about as far as fishing wise. And he says, well, and he tells them something to do. And, and Peter says, he says, well, master, we, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners. 
in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so that it began to sink. Now this word partner, it was translated partner, in this instant is the same word. So in, right here in Luke, the fifth chapter, they use the word koinonia there, but it got translated partner to us. And uh, back up in 2 Corinthians 13 and 14, when they used the word koinonia there, it got translated uh, to, to, uh, to communion. Same word. It just got translated two different ways. Now, the word partner here in Luke 5, 7 is that same word, but in this instance, it is referring to an actual business partner, that that was their business partner, okay? And I'm setting something up, so just stick with me. These guys were in business with Peter, and they were all working together on the same job and were f- focused uh, on a joint venture to catch and to sell fish. That's what they were doing. They were in partnership together. They were in koinonia. They were in, uh, uh, in communion. Um, so we could say this, to be in communion with the Holy Spirit, and the whole reason why I'm telling you all that is because we can read something like that and it says uh, that you be, uh, and the, the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We can actually translate that and it wouldn't be taking anything from it. It would not be changing the scripture. It would actually be sticking more closely to the scripture to say, and the partnership of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now that makes a little bit more sense to us, right? Communion with the Holy Spirit. And I do believe that, uh, that, that, there, that this is important, but a lot of times when we say the word communion, uh, we get a lot of different ideas in our head, wh- whether it be you know, the little wafers and the juice that we take when we take communion, or it could be communion as in hanging out together and communing together and eating and drinking together and different things like that. Uh, fellowshipping, which is, which is certainly okay too. But I think it brings about a difference when we look at that and we say, well, the, the Bible actually translated the word koinonia in two different places. One place they translated it to communion and in the, in the same word, they used it to translate a partnership as in a, a business partnership. Now, I don't know about you, but that takes it out of a different realm for me, where it takes it out of this place where me and the, me and the Holy Spirit are just hanging out, to me and the Holy Spirit are partners to do what, we, what He's called me to do. That God didn't just say, well, good luck doing what I've called you to do. There is something for you to do, and you are responsible to do it, and you will give an account for the deeds done in your body, but good luck. No, 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 it's not. We're going to find out here in a minute. It wasn't good luck. It was, hey, and you have a partner too, a good partner. Amen? Is this all right? So, So we can say to be in communion with the Holy Spirit is to be in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And if we look at the life of Jesus, we can see a perfect picture of a life in partnership with the Holy Spirit. So let's just look at this, Jesus and his partner. Jesus and the Holy Spirit have been in partnership long before the worlds were framed. But if we look at Jesus's earthly ministry, you say, there was a Jesus before there was an earthly Jesus? Absolutely. You know, if you go back into the book of John, it really gives you a a depiction of that because he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And uh, nothing was made that was made that was made with the word of God, right? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so that's Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. And so there always has been a father, a son, and a Holy Spirit. And, in, and, and they're all three one, yet all three separate. And I don't have time to explain all that tonight. But that's called the Trinity. But it's a beautiful picture. And right here we can see how this all works together, how the Godhead is working together. And the Godhead is working together right here uh, when Jesus comes to his earthly ministry. Um, he modeled in the flesh, when Jesus, when Jesus was in his earthly ministry, he modeled in the flesh what the New Testament believer and the New Testament church was to look like. And you can see that right off the bat with the partnership that was formed in Mary's womb. So let me kind of unpack that a little bit. When when we're looking at this, Jesus, when he was in the flesh, he was modeling what the church and what a believer was going to look like. Now, none of us possess all of the gifts. 
uh, by ourselves, and none of us possess all of the power of the Holy Spirit by ourselves. Jesus did. He was the full embodiment of the Holy Spirit. He was the full embodiment of the gifts uh, and, and, and the anointings of God. We have a measure of faith. We have a portion of that. Paul explains it very, very uh, easily. And, uh, and I love the way Paul taught because when Paul taught, uh, I, I believe it's the way we should teach. And that is he took, he took very complex things and taught them to where uh, we could all understand them. And that's what Jesus would do too when he would do the parables. He was teaching in parables. And sometimes we don't quite understand the parables today because we don't understand the culture that he was speaking to. And I think that's why it's so important that we go back and we, we understand the parables and we understand who Jesus was talking to and what was going on in those days because when we can understand that, we can understand how God, how Jesus was taking these very, very complex principles and simplifying them to talk to fishermen and farmers. Amen? He used a lot of those. So Paul, he takes this, uh, uh, the, the way the body of Christ is supposed to be and he makes it very, very simple. He makes it into things that we can all understand. And one of, the, one of the ways that he explains uh, the way the body of Christ should be, meaning all of us, not just us here at Word of Faith, but, but every church that, uh, that preaches Jesus Christ uh, is the way to heaven and him only, right? I know we all have some different ideas. We all have different doctrines and different theologies that, uh, that, that we're all real passionate about. But the main thing is, do we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. There's been some real popular people that, uh, that, that, that people, in the, even in the church, have allowed influence with them that have come out to say they don't believe that Jesus is the only way. Well, guess what? You've just crossed over into a place where you're not a believer anymore. Because Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, right? Actually, the Bible says if anybody tries to come through the door, or, or come in through any other door than Jesus Christ, that person's a thief, right? So it'd be like this. If, if, if somebody's supposed to be in your house, they're gonna probably knock on the front door, right? If they know you real good, they're gonna knock on the back door. And if they know you real, real good, they're just gonna come in the door and say, hey, how's it going? But a thief will wait until they think you're not looking, and a thief will come in the, through the window, They'll come in through a way they're not supposed to come in, right? And so anyway, um, where was I at? Um, when we look here at, at, at the earthly ministry of Jesus, no, oh, that's where I was at, I was at Paul. So Paul explains the body of Christ and he says, uh, this is how the body of Christ works, like a body. That there are those of us who are hands and those of us that are feet and those of us are eyes and nose and all these different deals. And he, he goes in and he says, none of us are the same and none of us have the same function, but we all are a part of the same body. And because we're a part of the same body, we should be functioning together in unity. And if you're a hand, you should not say to the foot that I have no need of you. And, and if you're an eye, you should not say that um, because I'm not a mouth or I'm not a nose or I'm not an ear that I don't want to be an eye. But you should all recognize the way God made you and operate in the body how God made you. Now, Jesus Christ was the full embodiment. He didn't need nobody else. Right? That's not us. There's not one Christian that has ever walked the face of the earth, not even the, the great apostle Paul, that could have said, I don't need anybody else. Why? Although the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and there have been great men and women throughout the years uh, who, have, who have had great anointings. But if they ever got to a place where they believed they didn't need anybody else or they actually said they didn't need anybody else, that was, the, that was the start of the fall for them. Why? Because none of us possess everything that we need. We all need each other. We need, that's the importance of the church. That's the importance of the body of Christ. That's the importance of you being connected to the body of Christ. Why? Because if you're a hand... You can do some things, and we're all proud of the things you can do, but if you don't have an arm, or you don't have a foot, or you don't have a leg, and you're not connected to the body, what good is just a hand? Come on. What good is just an eye if it's not connected to a body? So what good are you 
if you're not connected to the body. There's a lot of good in you. God has given you a lot. He's put a lot in you. He's put a lot of gifts and, and talents and a lot of expectation. But if you disconnect yourself from the body of Christ, what, what good really are you? And that's not a derogatory statement. I think that's an honest statement. You know, because I, I, I don't know about you, but if, if somebody came up to me and said, well, well, you get to pick one body part and that's the only body part you get to keep. Well, that does me no good. That's a catch-22. They, 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 they're, they're no good if they're not together. Right? Or you said you get, you get to pick one body part that you get to lose. You got to lose one. Thank God I still got my appendix because you can have that. Right? But to be honest with you, I don't lose any of them. And so... Paul really took these, these, these hard principles and he made them real, real simple. He said, look, body of Christ is like, like, a, like your body. We're all different members, part of the same body. And we all need each other, right? So this right here, um, you can see Jesus's partnership with the Holy Spirit right there when he was formed in, in, in Mary's womb. Luke 1, 34 and 35 say this. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? since I don't know a man. So basically she's being told that she's gonna carry uh, the son of God. And she said, uh, it's not possible because uh, you know, I've never known a man. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who Jesus, uh, the Holy One who is to be born uh, will be called the son of God. So Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Interesting fact, uh, and this is a biological fact. This is not just a biblical fact, but it's a biological fact. Uh, and, and something that until, you know, probably about 10 or 15 years ago, I guess I missed that part in biology. But I had no idea uh, that the blood that is produced in the, in the, in the baby in the womb does not, does not ever come from the mother. The blood comes from the seed of the man. That's where the blood begins to come from, the seed of the man. Go look it up. And you think, well, what's so significant about that? Well, I don't know. The fact that how powerful Jesus' blood is and where it came from, it came from the Holy Spirit because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Well, we won't get on that. But there's some powerful stuff in there. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit the day he was baptized by John in Matthew 3.16, and in Matthew 4.1, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. And then we go on and we, and we see in Acts the 10th chapter, the 38th verse, it's actually referenced about the day he was baptized. So this is not, uh, Acts, when, when Acts 10.38 was written, it was, not, it was not the day that he was baptized, but it was referencing the day that he was baptized that is talked about uh, back in um, Matthew 3.16. And that's the whole instance where he came to be baptized of John and John said, I, I'm not gonna baptize you because um, you know, I'm not worthy to baptize you. Uh, I need to be baptized of you. And uh, Jesus looked at John and said, John, this has gotta happen. We gotta fulfill the scripture. So John baptizes Jesus. And the Bible says when Jesus came up that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove and there was a voice from heaven that says, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased. So in Acts, the, third, the 10th chapter, the 38th verse, it actually talks about what happened in that instant. So in that instance, Jesus is 30 years old. He comes to be baptized of John. He's baptized. Holy Spirit comes down. Voice of God says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Acts 10, 38 says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. That was the day that Jesus was anointed of the Holy Spirit to do the things that he did in the three years of his earthly ministry. So Jesus did all his healing. This is the point I'm trying to get to here in the partnership of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did all of his healing. Now we're given snippets of, I guess, the most important healings. Not that any healing is less important than another, but for whatever reason, God chose these specific healings to be put into the Bible. But just because 
those are the ones we get to see or we get to read about. Doesn't mean that's the only ones that there were. Matter of fact, uh, you know, the last, uh, I think the last verse of John, the Gospel of John, it says, uh, or the last statements of the Gospel of John, it says that if all, if all of the, the miracles that Jesus did were recorded, that there wouldn't be enough books and all the Bibles, and, I mean, <laughs> enough books and all the libraries and all the world to contain everything that Jesus did. So I want you to think about this. All the healing that Jesus did, all the delivering that he did, delivering people from evil spirits, all the good works that he did, he did this through the partnership of the Holy Spirit. He did this through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because there is not anything recorded of Jesus doing miracles, mighty works, acts, before he was baptized by John and the Holy Spirit descended on him and God anointed him. There's no record of that. So if there's no record of it, uh, then we can't assume that he was doing anything like that. About the only record we get of him is, is uh, 12 years old disobeying his parents, running off from his parents. Remember that story? You know, he was, he was back there teaching uh, everybody in the synagogue. And they were all amazed at this 12-year-old kid and his parents were running around frantic because he just wandered off, you know? How'd you like that job? Being the parent of Jesus, the son of God? You know he's the son of God and you got to punish him? You know, you're sitting there thinking, listen, listen, don't take this personally, Jesus, but, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I, I still love you. Don't take it personally, but I, I've got to punish you because you ran off. Um, but anyway, so everything we read about and know about Jesus um, is always coupled and in conjunction with his partner, the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Romans 8, 11. Jesus said several times in the Gospels that he never did or said anything of his, own, of his own, indicating his total dependency on hearing from the Father through the Holy Spirit. And that's the thing, when you do begin to learn about the Trinity, about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And like I said before, they're all three separate, yet all three the same, but they all defer to each other. Jesus was like, I'm not going to do anything unless I hear it from my Father, and I, I'm not going to act in any way unless I have the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you see the Trinity at work in, that, in those instances where Jesus was doing these things. Um, so why, why is this important to us? You know, to understand the partnership that Jesus had with the Holy Spirit, why would that be important to us? So if Jesus himself needed the partnership. I think this is probably pretty self-explanatory. But if Jesus the Christ needed and submitted to the partnership of the Holy Spirit in order to carry out the plans and the purposes of God for his life, you know, we most certainly need the same partnership. I don't, I don't, I don't know about you, but the things that, the, the way God has commissioned us to live as a believer and the way God has commissioned us to believe as a believer and the things that he has said that are available to us as a believer are way outside my pay grade by myself. Anybody? Way outside. In and of myself, it's impossible. Something as simple as 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, which is the love chapter. Something as simple, it should be as simple as loving God, a loving people, the way God says to love them. I can't even do that in and of myself. How about you? I can't even do that. I can't even forgive somebody in and of myself. I can't even stop being boastful and prideful in and of myself. I can't even be, stop being rude in and of myself. I've tried. I remember when I first got saved, one of my goals, and, and, and some things about when you're, before you're saved are embarrassing, 
And, and I'll say this to, to brag about, it's actually in, in, embarrassing to me, but as a, as a young teenage boy, you know, I just developed a filthy mouth, just filthy. I mean, all the dirty jokes and, and, and just, just filthy. And I thought it was cute and I thought it was funny and I thought other people thought it was funny. And I remember after I got saved and I was working at, <laughs> I'll date myself a little bit, Western Sizzlin. Anybody know what a Western Sizzlin is? <laughs> kind of like Golden Corral, just worse. I don't know how Golden Corral can get worse, but it does. Anyway, started off a dishwasher and then a potato washer, a wrapper. And not a, not a wrapping artist, but like wrapping potatoes. And um, then I got to be the fry cook, guy who put the hamburgers together. And every once in a while, they let me cook the steaks. Moving on up in the Western sizzling world. But I remember after I got saved, I, I really, really began to be convicted about the way I would speak because I would go to church and, and I, you know, I'd put on, my, I'd put on my, my, best, my best foot forward, you know. But I'd get back in those arenas where, you know, people expected me to be a certain way and I, just, I was just foul-mouthed. And I remember going, God, I... I just want to make it, can I make it one shift without saying something ugly? And I would, uh, I'd get, you know, 10, 15 minutes off of that thought and here I was again, you know, doing it. But I really began to pray and I began to ask God and, and that sounds so simple. I really began to pray and ask God to, 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 you know, help me, just help me in that area. I don't want to be this way. I, I, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Everything's become new. And I remember one day it hit me after about, I don't know, maybe four or five days. It hit me that I had not only had I not said a cuss word, not only had I not told a dirty joke, I wasn't even thanking them anymore. I wasn't even thinking them. You know, not even if I hit my hand, my, my hand with a hammer. I didn't even Shoot was the real word that came up. I didn't alter it. It just, that was just shoot. So I can't even talk right without the partnership of the Holy Spirit. I can't. In and of myself, I can't do it. And I would surmise that neither can you. Some of us have different things that plague our life, so to speak. But it's when you, when you come into partnership or communion with the Holy Spirit that that supernatural gets added to your life. And that supernatural being added to your life helps you live the way that God intended us to live. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. But I also could say that you are perfect if you're in Christ because the Bible says He has perfected those who are being sanctified. But that sanctification process is the process that we want to get, get on because he perfects us. If he hadn't perfected us, then salvation really wouldn't be complete in our life. But how many of you know when we receive Jesus Christ uh, as our Lord and Savior, salvation is complete in our life? Amen? But sanctification is a process. What is that sanctification? That sanctification process is partnering with the Holy Spirit, being in communion with the Holy Spirit. Let him lead and guide you. That sanctification process is getting in the word of God because the Bible says that the word of God will actually renew our mind. That we're actually, it actually renews it. Makes it new, brand new. What had to happen to, for me to begin to speak differently and to, be, to begin to think differently? The word of God had to renew me. Had to renew my mind. The Bible also says that we're changed from glory to glory. And so there's this sanctification process that goes, and that, that takes the partnership of the Holy Spirit. Um, let's see where I'm at here. Let's go to John, uh, the 14th chapter. I'm going to make a statement, but then I'm going to clean it up because it might be messy for some of y'all. But here's the statement. Jesus isn't on the earth. And God's not on the earth. The Bible says that God is in heaven. Right? 
And the day that Jesus ascended, he has forever been seated at the right hand of God since that day. And he's waiting for the day that God allows him to come back. So if that's the case, we do understand that God is here. So how is he here? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Godhead that we have here that we're able to interact with here. He's the Godhead that we interact to. Jesus actually said, I might stir some, some other people up. Jesus actually said, when you pray, don't pray to me. You realize that? He said, pray to God in my name. He said, in that day, you'll ask me nothing. But whatever you ask the Father in my name, that I will do. Isn't that what the Word of God said? See, there's, there's all these little things, all these little nuances that, that just kind of develop over time. And, and they sound controversial, but they're not controversial at all. It's just a lack of understanding and a, and a lack of understanding how to speak. I hear people speak all the time and they say things all the time. And I know their heart is not to say the wrong thing. And I believe that there is mercy and I believe there is grace when we, when we do those things. But it's also good to understand and know that we don't pray to Jesus. We pray to God in Jesus' name. Amen? And it's also good to know that I'm not on this earth looking for Jesus because he sent the Holy Spirit in his place. And the Holy Spirit is the Godhead that we have here with us. And you say, I, I don't know if I believe that. But Jesus said, I have to go away. He told his disciples, I have to go away. They're, they're upset. The disciples were upset, rightfully so. They followed this guy for three years. A lot of them, all of them, I guess, have left their businesses and these guys weren't just homeless guys on the street. These guys had legit businesses and they walked away from their business. They've been following this guy for three years and this guy has told them about a kingdom that he's setting up and he's told them about this. They've seen marvelous things and all of a sudden they're sitting there thinking, we are following the guy who was gonna be the next king of Jerusalem. And you know what? When he's king, I just can't wait to see what position he puts me in. And Jesus, tell me, I'm not worried about all this stuff you're talking to me about. This is literally a conversation that went on when Jesus was trying to tell them about him about to go to the cross. And they're up there going, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, all that stuff. But who's gonna get to sit next to you? <laughs> Jesus is like, uh, that is absolutely not important at this time. You need to listen to what I'm saying. So anyway, these guys are so invested. You got to take this stuff out of the pages of your Bible and understand if this was you. You left everything to follow this man named Jesus. And you've seen some cool stuff, but you've also heard some negative stuff about this guy. Matter of fact, I would think that if this was going on today and we didn't know what we knew, we would think that Jesus and the 12 disciples were this weird little cult that went around. Right? To all of us normal people that are just living life, who is this guy and these 12 ragamuffin people? They come in our towns and they stir stuff up. Right? That's what was going on. These guys have taken on persecution. They've left their lives and they're doing it all because they really believe that Jesus is setting up a kingdom. Their only problem is they don't realize that the kingdom is spiritual. They don't realize it's supernatural. They're only thinking naturally. They're thinking Jesus is gonna overthrow the government and they're gonna be the ones sitting next to Jesus in the big house, right? That's what also concerned all the religious leaders of the day. Because when you go out and you, 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 you're able to attract 5,000 people, 8,000 people at a time, the government starts taking notice. Especially if you got people going around saying, he's going to start a kingdom. I'm just trying to paint a picture for you here. Because these guys are committed 
because of what they think they're going to get. And then Jesus starts talking to them about going away. He says, listen, I got to go. Go? Go where? Well, I'm leaving, but I'm sending someone else. Someone else? No, 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 wait, 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 wait. We followed you. We're not following anybody else. Jesus says it's actually more needful, it's more beneficial, it's better for you if I leave. Because if I don't leave, he can't come. And if he doesn't come, you're not going to be able to be who I need you to be. You want to read it? John 14. Verse 12, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Verse 15, if you love me, Keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you, how long? Forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. And he says, I will not leave you, Orphans, I will come to you. So the reason why he was saying you know him, because the him that is coming is the same him that has anointed me, so you've gotten to know the Holy Spirit through me. But there's coming a day where I'm, this body is leaving, but the Spirit, my Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is going to come back, and he's not going to just be with you, He's going to be in you. He's going to make that partnership. The Bible says, don't you know that you're not your own? You've been bought with a price that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That the love of God has been poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. One Bible says shed abroad, but that means poured out in you by the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. But you've got to choose to partner with Him because see, you still got the, the um, free will to continue to do things your way. You've still got the free will to try to just manhandle everything in life. He's not going to force you to be in partnership. The partnership is available. But if, if you don't extend and say, I want to be connected to the Holy Spirit, being connected to the Holy Spirit is more than just going, going around going, I got the Holy Spirit in me, I got the Holy Spirit in me. No, it's yielding to your partner. It's yielding to your partner. And, and, and then I, I would also add this. And I, think, I don't think anybody would argue with me about this. But even uh, just because you, you've got free will and you can do what you want when you want, and the Holy Spirit wants to be in partnership with you, when you do submit to being in partnership with Him, um, hold on to your seats. He's not the junior partner. He's the senior partner. That's the only chair that he'll take in your life. If he, if he can't be senior partner in your business, when I mean your business, your life, he won't take junior partner. What does senior partner mean? He always wins out. Junior partner is always in agreement with the senior partner, even when you don't want to agree. Eventually, you submit to that.
You let him lead you. You let him guide you. I'm not, I'm not telling you to let a, a preacher lead you or guide you. I'm not telling you to let a denomination lead you and guide you. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. Because you know what? Sometimes the Holy Spirit, if he's a senior partner, he might tell you to get out from underneath a certain ministry, our minister, our church. But if you go, oh, no, no, I've been here for years and I got things invested and no, 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 no. Okay, well then just sit there and then you wonder why you're miserable. Right? He might tell you to do some things that look risky on paper. But if we do believe and we do trust in the partnership that we have. See, I think that's the, that's the big part of it is if you don't spend time with your partner, if you don't spend time with the Holy Spirit, you'll never truly understand how he speaks and how he leads and how he guides. Amen? You can't, you can't just run into a thing and go, you know what, I've been trying to handle it from here on out, but I've really gotten a sticky situation. Holy Spirit, what, or God, what do you say? Jesus, what do you say? Bible, what do you say? I'm not saying that he wouldn't be merciful to you, but that's not the best way. The best way is to know his voice. The best way is to be in, such, in, in, in tune with him that he's leading and guiding your every step. Amen? And that, that, don't, that's, that takes faith and it takes consciously doing that. How many of you have made mistakes trying to follow God? Anybody? <laughs> I have. But I'll tell you one thing. and My wife will be a testimony to this. If I don't know, I'll say, I'm not quite sure. I'm praying. I'm believing God to know. But she knows when I've heard. And, and, and now there's, there's enough under my belt where it gets easier and easier and easier because you have yielded to that voice of the Holy Spirit. You have yielded to the voice of your partner and it turned out exactly the way he said. And then the next time it gets easier. They, first time it was, I was scared to death. Scared to death. Well, the first time I wasn't scared because I didn't have nothing to lose. You say, what do you mean? Well, the first time was when Pastor Chris called me and said, hey, we need a youth pastor. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a house. I didn't have anything. I didn't have nothing to lose. So it wasn't scary at all. But the second big time was when I knew he was calling me to pastor. I had a house, I had cars, had kids, had a wife, had a really, really good um, ministry position, job right here, so comfortable. And God was asking me to walk out on the water. And I thought, I mean, you know how, long, how many days I prayed, God, is this you or is this me? Is this you or is this me? Is this you or is this me? I knew it was him, but I stepped out there I followed the leading of the Holy Spirit, best decision I ever made. And then coming back here, I had a church. We had just built a big building. Church was growing. People were happy. We were doing loads of good things. And then I was faced with that decision again. And this time, I think it was even harder because my heartstrings were attached in both places now. And I had to say, God, I'm going to put my heartstrings aside and I just want your will. Holy Spirit, speak to me. And if you'll put yourself in those vulnerable positions with the Holy Spirit, He understands exactly how you think, exactly how you hear. But you've got to put yourself, you've got to carve out time with your partner. Because if you don't, and you're just going, God, just let it be your will. Just let it be your will. Just let it be your will. You have got a lot to do with the will of God being done in your life or not being done in your life. There's a lot of, the Holy Spirit doesn't push you and force you. He leads you and guides you. But if you're doing your own thing and you're just running out here going, well, if it's the Lord's will, I guess he'll do it. If it's the Lord's will, no, no, no. It's the Lord's will, but you have to submit to the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit because he's not going to force you off the, off the path that you're trying to take on your own. 
And if you don't carve out those times to hear from the Holy Spirit, you say, God, I wouldn't know how. You know how many things I got going on, how many people need me and my kids and this, that, and the other, and blah, 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 blah. You can't afford not to find those times. You can't afford not to. And you carve those times out. And in those times, whether you got something big going on that you need to hear his voice or there's absolutely nothing going on, you still need to hear his voice. And if you don't carve out those times, you're going to be left to your feelings. You're going to be left to your emotions. You're going to be led and guided by your fears. You're going to be led and guided by how, it, you know, I think that this, this just looks like a good thing. This just looks like it. You know, you know how many times things have looked like a good thing? And if I'd have followed it, it'd have wrecked me. It'd have ruined me. That's why I had to pray so hard about coming here because I knew it looked like a good thing. I, boy, I was excited. But I thought, is it a God thing? And it was, thank God. There's another time a man called me up. We were in desperate need of a building. We were in desperate need of being in a better location. Our church was growing. And there was a church in a prime location, had one of the best buildings in town, best facilities in town. Man called me up and said, I believe the Lord is telling me, man I respect, I believe the Lord's telling me that you need to merge with this church. And now, I, I say this now, but at the time, I kind of have ignored it. But as soon as he said that, the Holy Spirit said, don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Now, your Holy Spirit might not speak to you like that, but that's what I understand. <laughs> I know what it means to not touch something with a 10-foot pole. But I said, well, let me pray about that. I don't know what that looks like. And I prayed about it, and I knew. And I prayed. I said, well, it's not a decision for me to make. I need to bring it to my board. So I brought it to the board. And I said, I'm just giving you this information. If you want to know what my opinion is, you can ask me, but I'm just bringing this information to you. So I brought it to them. They said, what do you think? I said, well, I'll tell you what the Lord said. Don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. They said, okay. Well, we're not touching it. Then. Looked like a good thing. And then I was wrestling with it. Are we doing the right thing, Lord? And then the Lord furthered that and he brought me I'm not going to say a vision. Maybe I was sleeping. I don't know what was going on, but, but I saw something and I knew what he was talking about. He brought me the, the face, the picture of the faces of about 20 to 25 people in our church. And he said, these people will not fight you on merging with this other church. They will vote for it 100%. They won't talk bad about it or anything like that. But the first Sunday that you're supposed to have a service at the new location. They will not be there. They will be at the front doors of this location. And the Lord gave me a choice. He said, are those 20 or 25 people worth the sacrifice to get that building over there? I said, nope. That makes it real easy. I'm not sacrificing people. If God can do it over there, he can do it right here. Amen? Just, just showing you the, the, real, the real realistic way, it's not mystical, that the Holy Spirit helps you and, 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 and leads you and guides you. That's, that's my life. That's what I do. I'm a pastor. I'm in the ministry. I'm, I'm, I'm managing churches and buildings and all that stuff and, and people and, and everything. You, you, you may be doing something completely different. But the same Holy Spirit that leads me and guides me on, on, on the direction to take for my own personal life and for, the, and for the direction of this church, that's the same Holy Spirit that wants to lead and direct you in your life. He's just as concerned about your life personally and your family personally as he, as he is about mine. I don't have a special connection that way just because I'm a pastor. Matter of fact, I know a lot of pastors that lead and guide their church emotionally and lead and guide their church based on this looks like a good opportunity. And most of the time, they wreck things out and they cause a bunch of confusion, a bunch of drama in their churches. Well, I don't want confusion and drama here. Amen? And if you're not going to have confusion and drama in your home, in your business, in your life, in this church, we got to be led and we got to be guided by our partner, the Holy Spirit. Amen? Is that good? Hallelujah. Stand up. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this word. Lord, we thank you, Father, you're for us and not against us. Lord, that you have 
a destiny for us. Or you got a plan for us. You got a purpose for us. And you didn't leave us alone. You left us with the same partner that you had, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We ask you to help us to hear you better as we take steps, as we take faith steps to put ourselves in, in, in positions to listen to your voice before we go to pen and paper, before we go to figuring on how and when and where and what am I going to do about this, before we go to stressing, before we go to worrying and bringing in fear and anxiety on situations, Lord, I thank you that we'll have continual fellowship, communion, and partnership with you. You want to lead us and you want to guide us. And I thank you, Father, that we're reminded tonight to submit to your leading and to your guiding that you are the senior partner. You are the captain. You are the commander. You are the leader. You are my God. And Lord, we thank you for that praise you for that. If there's any person in this place that they've just, they've been dealing with some decisions. Maybe there's confusion. Maybe they're scared about a situation. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that as they take a step, whatever that step is, if it's a step in the direction to hear your voice, I thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to speak and that their ears are open to hear. Lord, we thank you for that. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Thank you guys for coming tonight. Again, thanks for joining us today. We hope that this podcast blessed you. Uh, if you'd like to contact us, all of our contact information, or come see us, uh, all of our location information is on our website, www.woftx.com. We hope to see you soon.